The first talk in volume 14, Parshas Vayeschanan, is a hadran, is the conclusion of a tractate of the Talmud. It's the Talmud of Shabbos, which relates to the Torah portion of the week, as Shabbat is one of the commandments included in the Ten Commandments um, that are mentioned in Parshas Vayeschanan. In the Rebbe's typical way, he concludes, gets into an analysis of the final Mishnah, of the final subject in the tractate, in this case of the tractate of Shabbos, and relates it and analyzes it, relates it to the opening of the tractate, and then goes into deeper analysis, and finally the spiritual messages, the spiritual lessons contained there. What is the final Mishnah in Shabbat, in, Sha- in Mesech Shabbos? It says, There was a story that happened in the days of the father of Rab Tzaddik and the days of Abishol ben Batnis, that they stuffed a window um, with clay jugs on Shabbat and tied a, uh, a clay jug to, with bulrushes in order to be able to measure to see if there was an opening of a tefach by a tefach. As Rashi explains, there was a passageway between two homes because of the ways of the laws of ritual purity, how it enters into a space, they had to first block up a window to stop the impurity from coming in and measure the opening, the crack that there was in the, in the ceiling of that passageway to see whether it was an opening of a handbreadth by a handbreadth. That's the technicality of the story. Lamanus concludes the Mishnah from their words, we learn three rules. That one can stuff a window, and despite the fact that it appears to be like building, one can measure and one can tie a knot for the sake of a mitzvah on Shabbos. In other words, you're allowed to block a window, you're also allowed to measure for the sake of a mitzvah, and you're allowed to tie a knot that isn't a permanent knot, even if it's a professional knot, for the sake of a mitzvah. So the Rebbe asks the following, he says, what's going on over here with the order? If it were to follow the series of events, which would be the simple way of understanding it, it makes sense, they stuff the window first, that comes first, but then the next thing they did was tie, and only then measure. Yet the Mishnah says, you can stuff, you can measure, and you can tie. So it seems to be out of the order of how the events actually took place. Taisavis explains that it follows the order of what's the biggest novelty, what's the biggest chiddush, in other words, the biggest shocker. So the first one that it says makes sense, that the first, the first rule is that you're allowed to stuff a window, because that's allowed to be done even not for the sake of a mitzvah. That literally seems to be adding to the building. It seems to be the same as building on Shabbat, and yet the Mishnah says you're allowed to, so that comes first. But again, you're left with the question, with the next two that seem to be out of order. Because the bigger both of them are allowed to be done, are normally forbidden by, by rabbinic decree, and nonetheless are permitted to be done for the sake of a mitzvah. Not only that, but seemingly it's more of a novelty that you're allowed to tie a knot than that you're allowed to measure. Why? The prohibition to measure on Shabbos is a rabbinic decree because it seems improper. It's not Shabbistic. It's not, it's not appropriate. It's not respectful for Shabbos. It seems too much like a weekday activity. Tying a knot is forbidden also by rabbinic decree, but because 
if it was a permanent a permanent knot, it would be biblically prohibited. And tying a, a professional knot that isn't intended to be permanent seems too similar, it's too much alike to tying a permanent knot, which means that it would make more sense to say that that one is prohibited. It's a bigger chiddush, it's a bigger novelty that it's that the Mishnah is saying that you're allowed to tie a knot for the sake of a mitzvah in, in this case. So why, if that's the case, does it say first, that it says first off a window makes sense. But why does it say first you're allowed to, um, to, to, to measure and only then that you're allowed to tie a knot when both based on the series of events and based on the severity, on the, on the, on the, on the degree of the novelty, it would seem that tying a knot should have come before measuring. To explain this, the Rebbe says, let's look at the very beginning of the Tractate of Shabbos. It starts off, the first Mishnah in Shabbos deals with the laws of Eitzah, of taking something out from one property to another, deals with the case of a, of a person giving to, a, per, to a, a pauper who came to the door some food on Shabbos, and goes into the details of if you have an Akira without Anacha, in order to be considered removing something, moving something, carrying on Shabbat, moving something from one domain to another, there's three parts that are needed an akira uprooting the item moving it from one from one domain to the other and a hanacha and putting it down and the mishnah deals with the cases of if you had an akira without hanacha you uprooted it but you didn't put it down because somebody took it from you or you didn't uproot it because somebody put it into your hand but you did move it and and, and put it down that all of those cases are, are rabbinically prohibited but are not included in the biblical prohibition and the question is asked by some of the commentaries why? There's a rule anytime the Torah says that something is prohibited but only if you do a certain amount to do a part of that amount will still be biblically prohibited it just won't be punishable if that's the case, seemingly if you do the act of moving something from one domain to another, but you did only the akira, only the uprooting but not the anacha, not the placing down or vice versa, you still seem to be doing half of the, of, of the amount of the labor of moving something from one domain to another, and it still should be biblically prohibited. Why is it only prohibited by rabbinic decree? So the commentaries in the Rabbi Yosef Engel and, 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 and the Rogachavar explain, based on a specific use of the term in, in that statement, in that phrase, in that dictum. Half of the amount is prohibited biblically. In other words, if there's an amount of the labor, in other words, you did the whole act, but you only did half the amount, like eating half the amount of food that's prohibited on Yom Kippur, you still did the act of eating, just it was half of the punishable amount, that will still be still be biblical, biblically prohibited, it just won't be punishable. But in this case, when you had a uprooting without it putting down, or vice versa, you didn't have half the amount. The mechanics, the essence of the labor wasn't done in the first place, because you only did half of the quality of the, of the act, not just half of the quantity of the act. And therefore, biblically, that wouldn't be prohibited, it's only prohibited by rabbinic decree. Says the Rebbe, you could argue that the same applies to the case that we're dealing with here of tying a knot that isn't permanent, a professional knot that isn't permanent. Why is that, that also not considered half the amount? The answer will be the same thing, that it's not half of the amount of the labor. It's half of the labor in the first place. In other words, the quality, the essence, the definition of what it means to tie a knot is to intend that it should remain combined, remain united forever. And as long as it's being done only intending to be temporary, that's not considered a 
sinful labor in the first place, and therefore it isn't biblically prohibited. However, if that's the case, the Rebbe asks the question, what's going on? Um, we know that the reason, that, 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 that the, as, as mentioned, the Mishnah at the beginning of Mesecha Shabbos, of Tractate Shabbos, deals with the case of giving tzedakah, <coughs> of giving something from, uh, giving food to a poor person on Shabbos, and yet it's saying that it's still rabbin, rabbinically prohibited, even though you don't have the full act, nonetheless it's rabbinically prohibited to do it even in the context of a mitzvah. If that's the case, why by tying, which seems to be a, sim- a tying a, 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 a non-permanent knot, seems to be a similar mechanics. Why are we not saying that it's prohibited, that it's permitted in the case of a mitzvah? So the Rebbe says you could argue that there's a difference between the two, that the reason for the prohibition is different. There's two types of rabbinic decrees. When it says that you're prohibited to do an akira without anacha, to uproot the item without putting it down, there it's there the, the, the reason given in the commentaries, in, in halacha, in the Ramam, is gzeira, it's a decree, shema yavek if you allow to do a half a labor, you might come to do the full labor. And therefore, since, since you're not allowed to do the full labor, we decree that you can't do something that might lead you to do the full labor. As opposed to the reason given for why you're not allowed to tie the impermanent knot, isn't that you might come to tie a permanent knot, but rather, since it's so similar to what the Torah prohibited, so therefore the sages prohibited it as well. In other words, there's a difference between two types of reasons why the sages forbid a labor. One is that you might come to do the full, the prohibited labor. The other is that you're not, we're not worried you're going to come to do the prohibited labor. We're worried that it's too similar to the prohibited labor and therefore it's therefore it's forbidden as well. According to that, says the Rebbe, it makes sense. If the concern is that you're going to come to do a malacha a biblically prohibited labor, so then even if it's in a case of a mitzvah, it's still prohibited because you might come to do the full labor. In the case of the knot, where we're not worried it's going to lead you to do a full labor, we're just worried that it's too similar to that which is prohibited, in the case of a mitzvah, it's, it's permitted. But the Rabbas, that itself requires explanation. Why aren't we worried with an impermanent knot that you're going to come to do a permanent knot? Especially since the action is actually the same. The in, it's just the difference. The difference is only the intent. So if in the case of a uprooting without putting down, akira without anacha, we're worried you might come to do the additional act that's going to lead it to become a biblically prohibited act, why are we not worried in the case of a knot where you're already doing the full mechanics of the labor and just the intent is different that you're going to come to do a prohibited act? So the explanation says the Rebbe is the reason why it's only prohibited to, do, to, to tie a permanent knot is because only that is considered a knot. A knot is when you combine two separate things and make them one. And if it's intended not to be permanent, yes, you made them touch, yes, you made them temporarily connected, but that's not considered a connection in the first place. And therefore, that's not at all even part of the labor. It's a completely different act. You don't have the mechanics of the act whatsoever. Because when you tie an impermanent knot, when you tie it without the intent of it being permanent, there's nothing here that is equal to 
bringing the two things together in a way that they will remain united. And therefore, there's no reason to be concerned that the act of an impermanent knot will lead you to a prohibited act. It's only prohibited because it's similar to the, to the biblical decree. The rabbis for, forbade it as well. And therefore, there's no reason to forbid it in the case of a mitzvah. As opposed to the act of taking something from one domain to another, where even if you only had half of the act, the concern is that you will come to to do the full act. The act that you did was part of the act that's forbidden. And therefore, there's reason to be concerned you'll come to do the full act. And therefore, it, 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 it has to, it's prohibited. It's, it's prohibited because it can lead you to the biblically prohibited act. And therefore, it's prohibited even in the place of a mitzvah. According to this, says the Rebbe, you could explain the order of the Mishnah. Why it says, why it says measure and only then to tie. Because since we explained that an impermanent knot isn't at all a prohibited prohibited act. It's only prohibited because it's similar to the act that's forbidden. That means that the act itself that you did wasn't a prohibited act at all. It's only forbidden out of a concern that it's too similar. Whereas when you measure when you measure something, yes, it's only rabbinically prohibited because it's not proper for Shabbat, but then it's the act itself that's forbidden. It's not only being forbidden because it's similar to something else that's prohibited, it's the act itself that's forbidden. If that's the case, you would think that in the case of measurement, it would be harder to allow it even in the sake of a mitzvah because the act itself was forbidden. And, and, and nonetheless, the Mishnah says that's why it says measuring first because it's the bigger novelty. Even in that case, you're allowed to do it for the sake of a mitzvah and definitely by tying an impermanent knot where the act itself isn't at all a prohibited act. It's only a concern that it's similar to a prohibited act. There too, in the case of a mitzvah, you're allowed to do it. So halachically, on a basic level, the Rebbe explained the order very beautifully. And based on that, the Rebbe says you could explain also spiritually the, the order for this as well. What is the order of these three things spiritually? Paikigin, Maididin, and Kaishrin, that you're allowed to stuff, you're allowed to measure, and you're allowed to tie. And also, why does he use the active voice? Seemingly, the appropriate language would be Mutter Lifkaik. If you have to, to stuff, you're allowed to stuff, but it doesn't say that. It says Paikigin, one stuffs, which implies that there's almost like this is something that should be done. So the Rebbe explains this based on what's explained in, in Kabbalah, in Kisve Arizal, in the writings of the Ari and in Chassidus, that there's three different times of Shabbat. There's the night of Shabbos, the day of Shabbos, and then Mincha of Shabbos, the afternoon as Shabbos, as Shabbos begins to leave. And they relate to three different spiritual energies. On the night of Shabbos, there's the idea that Malchus, that the spiritual energy that's contained giving life to the world all week long, is elevated to its source, and therefore there's no room for klipa, there's no room for negativity in this world. Uh, that's, on, that's on the night of Shabbos. Then on the day of Shabbos, you reach an even higher level, where it's a re revelation not only of Malchus as it is, in, in Atsilos of this, the spiritual energy that's giving life to the world as it ascends to a, to a higher, more spiritual level. But there's actually a revelation of Zah, of the Midas, of the character traits of Atsilos, of, of the spiritual world, the spiritual source of the worlds. Because of that, that's why we refer to on the night of Shabbos and the female, we say in, in our prayers uh, that, that we should be sanctified, they shall rest in her, 
on the because Malchus is female, is the feminine, the spiritual feminine. On the day of Shabbos, which relates to the Midas, which relates to the character traits, we use the term Yonuchu Vay, rest in it. Then on Mincha of Shabbos, in the afternoon of Shabbos, we reach an even higher level. That's the source of them both, that unites them both. And that's why in our prayers we say Yonuchu Vam, rest in them, because we're referencing a level that's higher than both of them, that unites both of them. According to this, the Rebbe explains we can understand the language of the three terms. The, the final staying of Shabbos, the final statement of Shabbos is saying what we accomplish through keeping Shabbos. This is the conclusion of the entire tractate. In other words, when a person keeps Shabbos properly, they're actually doing three things. Paikikin, they're stuffing up. The, 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 the Bedrish tells us that when God created the world, the north side was left unfinished, which represents the ability of negativity, of impurity, to still have an influence on the world. When a person keeps Shabbos on the night of Shabbos, Paikikin, we're stuffing up the negativity. We're already blocking the capacity of negativity to draw to nurture from this world. And when we do that, and we do it properly, then we go on to the next step, to the day of Shabbos, when we're elevated to an even higher level of Maididin, of measuring. The word measure relates to the word Mida, a character trait is measured, it's defined in a specific fashion. And therefore, on the day of Shabbos, you bring that energy of Shabbos even higher, where you're not only Paikikin, you're not only stopping the negativity from nurturing from the world. We're creating a world where negativity cannot exist, which is what happens every single Shabbos, but you're bringing it even higher to the level of measurement. And when a person does that, then in the afternoon of Shabbos, in the final steps of Shabbos, it reaches the uh, the, the ultimate level, which is Kaishirin, ties them together, reaches the level that binds that's higher than both Malchus and Zah, that both the, the, the negating the negative and the expression of the positive unites them both together and creates a harmony between the two, and that's Kaishirin, to tie a knot, to bind together God and the Jewish people, to bind together spirituality with our world, and that's what's truly achieved properly when one keeps Shabbos in the proper sense.